Russia launches a wave of fresh attacks on Ukraine as U.S. lawmakers work to renew funding for Kyiv. If America doesn't assist Ukraine, Putin is all too likely to succeed, as President Zelensky repeatedly has reminded us. The only right answer to this threat is for the Senate to face it down unflinchingly by passing this bill as soon as we can. Plus, the White House, EU leaders and NATO condemn remarks by Donald Trump on potentially not defending alliance members. In a statement Sunday, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said that any suggestion that NATO allies would not defend each other undermines all of our security in including that of the U.S. And later in the program, we'll hear about the heroes working to help Ukrainian children with disabilities. Today is Monday, February 12th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Rick Pantaleo for Lori London. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky continues moves to reboot the leadership of his government and military, even as Russia's military launched another wave of drones across Ukraine early Sunday, including the capital, Kyiv. Anna Chernikova in Kyiv joins us for an update. Anna, Russia attacked Ukraine with a barrage of drone attacks early Sunday. How many were they able to intercept? What were the targets? Um, yeah, so over the night, it was uh, another drone attack, quite quite a big one. Russian forces attacked Ukraine with 17 UAVs and one missile of the KH type. According to Ukrainian air defense, 14 drones were destroyed by the Ukrainian air defense and the missile as well. What we know at this point that basically Russian forces just continue this attack. They're happening every night, uh, mostly, and also so in some areas during the day. This latest attack was targeting the west part of the country as well as eastern southern part of the country. And there is no information, at least at this point, about victims and about any severe damage. But again, we might get some additional details sometime soon. This is if we're talking about the latest attack. I understand that President Zelensky has replaced his top military commander. What are you hearing about a potential new strategy in the war? Yeah, it was uh, quite a big shakeup uh, in the military leadership last week. And Ukrainians were waiting for this decision from President Zelensky because for the past uh, week, seven months, I should say the last year, there are talks that President Zelensky and uh, General Zaluzhny, who was commander-in-chief since the beginning uh, and before the full-scale invasion, there were talks about a certain split between them. And then last week, finally, the decision made. And together with the, the top general, also the commanders of different uh, directions were also uh, changed and replaced. So at this point, the new commander-in-chief, Alexander Sirsky, he used to be the commander of the land forces of Ukraine. He is from the same team as uh, General Zaluzhny, so he was uh, under his command uh, for this past uh, years. Well, Ukrainian military and Ukrainian society hope that this uh, shift will not play a serious role on Ukrainian ability to fight against Russian aggression. However, there is a lot of fear within the society and a lot a high risk that a society is seeing this situation that there is a high risk that it might have uh, a negative impact. However, everyone is hoping that this is not going to create any additional risks uh, for Ukraine's ability to fight uh, at the front line. And uh, everyone is also hoping that new general-in-chief Sirsky will 
provide a new strategy which will create positive results for Ukrainian army at the front line. And at this point, we're hearing that what was already announced by Oleksandr Sirsky that he will receive the, the rotation procedure. So uh, he is looking for rotation to start as soon as possible. And that there, there is a capacity for that, as he said, because from all those already mobilized to the front line, not everyone have been to the front lines. There are still a lot of potential power trained manpower is waiting for the rotation and is, pos- is available for the rotation. So he announced that these people will be involved at the front line now. And also he announced that more technology will be used and will be developed in general military technological direction. And uh, as President Zelensky previously announced, there is a new department within the Ukrainian army which will be responsible for the drones and uh, and UAV's forces. So this is probably two main announcements that have been already made. We will see how all the situations the front line will change in the recent months. Anna, can you give us any updates from the front line? What's happening? Yeah, uh, well, uh, in terms of the front line, the situation remains extremely difficult in the Donetsk region, particularly Avdivka area, as Russian forces continue attacks, continue advance, and continue to increase the amount of equipment and manpower in that area. Also, we are hearing that the city of Kupinsk, which is in the Kharkiv region, um, Russian forces intensified and increased the attacks and they're trying to get in closer to the city and even enter in the city. Uh, and this city was already liberated previously by the Ukrainian forces from the Russian occupation, which happened during this uh, big li- liberation campaign of the Kharkiv region. And uh, there is now another risk again that uh, the city might be captured by Russian forces. So at least this is what we are hearing from the Ukrainian official uh, military sources that Russian forces are intensifying their actions in that area. So Avdiivka and Kupinsk would be uh, probably the most active areas at this point in the eastern part of the front line. And uh, also southern eastern part of the front line, uh, which is Sun region and the Parisia region, also the re- situation remains extremely tough. Uh, Ukrainian forces are keeping the defense lines in some areas. They are trying to keep the defense lines as much as possible. However, if we are talking about Avdivka, it is quite tough for Ukrainian forces at this point. Also, what's important to mention is that the city of Kharkiv, which is the central city, it is under constant attacks, uh, under constant shelling, as well as Kharkiv region. So in terms of the shelling by the missiles and drones, this is probably uh, the most shelled area of the entire Ukraine territory. And over the weekend, it was a really terrible attack by the Russian forces uh, on the Kharkiv region. And in one of the villages, uh, the entire family was killed. The family of five people, three children and mother and the father, they were just burned alive in, inside of their house. Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA from Kyiv. U.S. funding for Ukraine's efforts to defend itself against Russia continues to be up for debate and among deeply divided members of Congress. The U.S. Senate on Monday worked to steer a $95.34 billion package containing aid for Ukraine and Israel to the passage this week following months of delays, even as it lacked any guarantee the House of Representatives will support the measure. Democratic Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. It's been years, perhaps decades, 
decades that the Senate has taken up a standalone bill that so significantly impacts not just our national security, not just the security of our allies, but the very security of Western democracy. His counterpart on the Republican side, Senator Mitch McConnell, stressed to wavering colleagues why supporting Ukraine is so critical. The Russian despot trying to conquer Ukraine also wants to see America weakened. The Chinese autocrat hoping to subjugate Taiwan also wants to consign American leadership to history. The money is viewed as crucial by Kyiv as it grinds toward the second anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. VOA's senior diplomatic correspondent, Cindy Sane, has more. In Washington, President Joe Biden met Friday with visiting German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, with support for Ukraine high on the agenda. The United States and Germany are the top two donors of military aid to Ukraine. U.S. aid has been stalled for weeks in Congress, with many Republican lawmakers opposing it. Biden had this to say about it. The failure of the United States Congress, if it occurs, not to support Ukraine is close to criminal neglect. It is outrageous. At the State Department Thursday, VOA asked if the U.S. could somehow continue to provide aid to Ukraine with the supplemental budget stalled in Congress. Deputy Spokesperson Vedant Patel said this. There is no uh, magic uh, second pot of money. There is no other alternative here uh, when it comes to this. And that's why uh, you have seen um, uh, this administration um, uh, come out strongly uh, for the uh, text of the supplemental uh, funding bill that uh, was made public over this past weekend. One expert told VOA that Schultz and Biden might get creative when it comes to helping Ukraine. Michael Kimmage is a professor of history at the Catholic University of America. He spoke to VOA via Zoom. There will be, you know, perhaps ways in which Germany and the United States can creatively think through this question, that if Germany has the money uh, and the United States has the munitions and uh, the materiel, uh, that there might be ways of uh, of assisting and aiding Ukraine even without um, Congress approving uh, the money. There might be other channels and other uh, mechanisms. At the White House, the German Chancellor commented on former Fox News anchor Tucker Carlson's interview in Moscow with Russian President Vladimir Putin, calling it ridiculous. He called Putin's account of the war's history lies and said the Russian leader's sole motivation for starting the war was to gain territory. Cindy Sane, VOA News, the State Department. Comments by former President Donald Trump suggesting he would allow Russia to attack what he termed delinquent U.S. NATO allies have sent shockwaves across European capitals and triggered a rare rebuke from NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. As VOA's Arashira Basadi reports, the two U.S. presidential frontrunners have diametrically opposed views on Ukraine and NATO. Ukraine relies on the financial and material support of primarily NATO member states for its efforts to defend itself against Russia. Biden's likely challenger for the presidency, Donald Trump, said that as president, he had warned an unidentified NATO member to spend more on defense or Russia can do what it wants. I came in, I made a speech and I said, you got to pay up. They asked me that question. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, 
Well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. In a statement Sunday, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said that any suggestion that NATO allies would not defend each other undermines all of our security, including that of the U.S. Arash Arabasadi, VOA News. Ukrainian defense officials claim Russian forces in areas of eastern Ukraine that they occupy are using Terminal's satellite internet service Starlink. Francis McGuire with Reuters has more. Russian forces are obtaining Starlink satellite terminals illicitly from third countries, the Ukrainian military spy agency spokesperson said on Monday. Andrey Yusov, the military official, did not say how he knew. The agency further said Russia was increasing Starlink use on the front line, and that work was underway to stop Russian forces using the terminals to coordinate attacks in occupied parts of Ukraine. The high-speed satellite internet terminals are produced by Elon Musk's SpaceX. Ukraine uses Starlink for military communications in its war with Russia. Ukrainian authorities said on Sunday that Russian troops were using Starlink in occupied areas as the full-scale war with Russia nears the two-year mark. The Kremlin said on Monday the terminals were neither certified for use in nor officially supplied to Russia. Moscow added it could therefore not be used. Starlink says it does not do business of any kind with Russia's government or military. It said last week that its terminals were not active in Russia. It also stated SpaceX had never sold or marketed the service in Russia nor shipped equipment to locations in the country. Francis McGuire with Reuters reporting. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Rick Pantaleo. News that American TV commentator Tucker Carlson was in Russia to interview President Vladimir Putin received intense news coverage in Russia. Some describe it as a media frenzy, one that's giving a clear insight into how the Russian state handles foreign and domestic journalists. Elizabeth Chernoff narrates this report from the VOA Moscow Bureau. In Russia, news that American TV commentator Tucker Carlson was in Moscow took priority over all other news coverage, including the ongoing Russian presidential campaign. For journalists in Moscow, the situation seems highly implausible, as is the case of Pyotr Kozlov, journalist for the Moscow Times, who keeps an eye on the Kremlin's dealings with foreign populist movements. He says that since Carlson's arrival, there have been about 10 stories a day about what he is doing on the streets of Russia, going as far as telling viewers that Carlson has gone to eat a hamburger. As some analysts see it, the enthusiasm over Carlson's visit stands in sharp contrast to how the same Russian media have been covering Russia's war in Ukraine, often hardly mentioning it at all. Anton Oreck is a journalist and political analyst who says that periodically Putin and what Oreck calls the propaganda media remind journalists that Russia has its own way, its own sovereignty, and does not need to look to the West. He says they are told it does not matter what the West thinks of Russia and that Russia is in a de facto war with the West. In promoting his interview with Putin, Carlson said that no foreign media have wanted to do so in the past two years, an assertion that the Russian president's spokesperson denies. 
Observers say the work of the foreign press is now extremely complex. That is the view of journalists like Anton Orek, who says that for Russian officials, speaking to the foreign press is dangerous. He says that is why getting interviews or simply information is much more difficult now than it was before. As the Moscow media celebrates Carlson's visit, two American journalists are still imprisoned in Russia. Evan Gershkovich of the Wall Street Journal on charges of espionage, and Alsu Karmasheva of VOA's sister outlet Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, on charges of failing to register as a foreign agent and spreading false information. For the VOA Moscow Bureau, Elizabeth Cherneff, VOA News. Russia falsely denies it has an arms deal with North Korea in violation of a United Nations embargo. More from Polygraph Info. On January 26th, Russian Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Maria Zaharova said Russia is not carrying out military technical cooperation with North Korea. We noted the markedly heightened temperature of the rhetoric of official Seoul directed at Moscow that Russia is allegedly carrying out military technical cooperation with Pyongyang. We strongly reject any attempts by the U.S. and its satellites to illegitimately accuse our country. These are no longer simply unfounded accusations, but mudslinging and disinformation. That is false. South Korea says Russia imported more than 1 million artillery shells from North Korea, some of which Moscow already used in its war against Ukraine. President Vladimir Putin and other top Russian government and military officials have openly confirmed Russia has held talks with North Korea about increasing military technical cooperation. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un traveled to Russia's Far East last September to meet with Putin and visit military installations. Last October, the U.S. National Security Council's John Kirby said Russia had purchased more than a thousand containers of military equipment and ammunition from North Korea. The White House showed satellite images confirming the delivery of North Korean military equipment and ammunition to Russia. Last month, Joost Olimans, a Dutch expert on North Korea's military, told Reuters that footage of debris from a missile Russia used to hit the eastern Ukrainian city of Kharkiv on January 2nd indicated that the missile used was pretty much a dead match for a North Korean type of missile. On January 9th, 50 countries, including the US, Japan, the UK, Germany, France, Italy, Canada, and Australia, signed a statement accusing Russia of receiving ballistic missiles from North Korea and using them in the war with Ukraine. Polygraph Info was produced by the fact-checking team of the Voice of America's News Center. With the death toll rising from missile and drone strikes almost two years after Russia invaded, Ukraine is urging Australia to share its world-leading approach to treating burn victims. From Sydney, Phil Mercer reports. Doctors say the number of Ukrainians dying from injuries caused by burns during Russia's invasion is rising sharply and warn Ukraine's medical system is struggling to cope. Representatives from the Lviv-based Christian Medical Association of Ukraine are in Australia urging the government to send specialist medical expertise and supplies. There has been no official government response so far. Australia has expertise 
casualties with burn injuries. Many techniques were developed after the terrorist bombings on the Indonesian island of Bali in 2002. 202 people were killed, including many foreign nationals. Rudy Myhovich of the Christian Medical Association of Ukraine told the Australian Broadcasting Corporation he hopes the government will send doctors to Ukraine. We hope to get teams of plastic burns doctor to Ukraine for short term and we're trying to be careful with and maximize all of the help that is in our hands. Also we plan to send Ukrainian doctors they can observe and take a knowledge and better skills because the amount of cases is unbelievable. The United Nations Human Rights Monitoring Mission in Ukraine has reported that at least 10,000 civilians have been killed and upwards of 18,500 have been injured since Russia invaded on February 24 2022. Attacks on healthcare facilities, a lack of medical staff and power shortages have made it harder for victims to receive care during the conflict. Russia has claimed its invasion of Ukraine is a special military operation and has insisted it doesn't target civilians, both of which are refuted by Ukraine, the UN, the United States and NATO. Australia is among the largest non-NATO contributor to Kyiv's war efforts. The government also has imposed sanctions on hundreds of Russian politicians, including President Vladimir Putin, military commanders and business people. They are the most sweeping penalties Australia has ever put on another country. Additionally, Canberra has banned imports of Russian oil, petroleum, coal and gas. Phil Mercer, VOA News, Sydney. For children with disabilities near Ukraine's front lines, volunteer care has become a lifeline. And for none more than 16-year-old Ivan, who lives with cerebral palsy, Rachel Judah with Reuters has more. Fewer than 20 miles from the front line in eastern Ukraine, volunteers Svetlana Korzun and Valeria Beskluba are visiting 16-year-old Ivan. The teenager who lives with cerebral palsy is one of around 500 children being helped by volunteer collective Base UA. The organization aims to foster creativity and communication among children, including those with special needs in Donetsk. He's a very interesting and extraordinary boy. I think he has a very interesting mind. We all liked him right away. We started to think how we could help him. Now we understand that what he probably needs most is quality time spent with him, just conversations, exercises. Because he is grown up, it is quite difficult to have educational things with him learn to read and to write, because he says, no, let's do something else, let's do something cool. But it is cool just to spend time with him. Ivan's hometown of Tetyanivka was badly damaged by fighting in the first year of Russia's full-scale invasion. For much of 2022, the Russians were less than a mile from the town, and the constant shelling frightened him. Almost every house bears the scars of war, and locals say fewer than 200 of 750 residents remain. <laughs> Although Ivan and his family were briefly evacuated to nearby Dnipro, they returned home after the Russians were pushed back in Ukraine's counteroffensive. Volunteers now visit Ivan twice a week and provide valuable face-to-face -face time with him. 
Since Ivan doesn't go to school, the volunteers are the only people who spend regular time with him outside of his immediate family. I don't just want to do this to take a box. I want to really help. I want to be a person he trusts, so he can talk to me and maybe trust me with something. When they're not going on field visits, the volunteers hold art classes and film viewings for children in a makeshift cultural centre in Kramatorsk. Although the children of Kramatorsk have better access to resources than their peers in villages, they still lack in-person contact. That's something base UA's co-founder, Anton Yaramchuk, believes doesn't get enough attention. We try to find a program or an approach for every child to be able to fulfill their potential. They don't know what they're interested in, what they want to do in life, because they've been absolutely isolated for many years. Due to the coronavirus pandemic and the war, children in the region have not been in a learning environment with their peers since 2020. That was Rachel Judah with Reuters reporting. And that'll do us for today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day at voanews.com and on social media. Just be sure to follow VOA News. On behalf of everyone at VOA, thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Rick Pantaleo.